Hey everybody, welcome back to finally another episode of Dramatic Comedy Podcast. It's been a few weeks. Today on the show, we have comedian Jonathan Flanagan, who is going to be part of the show here in St. George, Utah, coming up on Friday, July 10th. He is headlining. I'm fortunate enough to be on that show as one of the middle uh, openers. Uh, we had a good conversation with John. John and I talked about kind of his getting into to stand up and his background in improv, and we talked about some of our comedic influences and. And most importantly, we, we asked the question, what, uh, what kind of role does a sense of humor and being involved in comedy play in John's life? So pretty good conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. This is my conversation with John. Chase. John. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yeah. How am I sounding? You're sounding good. Are you using your computer or are you on the app? Uh, on the app. I'm using some right. earbuds right now. That's why I was asking oh. to make sure they sound okay. Because I actually yeah. uh, put these through the washing machine. Oh, did ago. you? Yeah. Well, can't tell. It sounds fine to me. Okay, good. They, How uh, you doing, man? They still work, but they're still dirty inside. So it says a lot for the AirPods, but doesn't say much for the detergent, I guess. <laughs> no that's fair i ruined so my wife got me some pretty nice uh earbuds for christmas and i left them in my pocket and they survived the washer but the dryer is what ruined them uh-huh. yeah that's where i caught these thank god i caught them put changing from wash to dryer and i was like oh what's this i think they would have been fine had i caught them out of the washer but what yeah. By the time I noticed what happened, they were like all tingled up and like jammed in the middle of the dryer, and the cords had oh. all been stretched out. And it's just, oh, yeah. So that's good, man. So you're in California? Yes, I am. Southern California. You, you from there, or did you land there? Born and raised. I'm I'm uh, on my mom's side. I'm half Mexican, half Irish. On my Mexican side, I'm actually seventh generation Californian. Oh, are you? Yeah. What part of California? Southern California, then. Uh, well, like in Cal, like Southern California, basically like everyone, every generation moves further east from LA because like LA is where <laughs> the jobs were. So that's where you would live. And so like my grandmother, like my great grandmother's in like Boyle Heights, like my grandmother grew up in Boyle Heights and they buy a house in like for a little further east, like Norwalk down, he's still LA County and my mom's raised there and they go and buy a house like further east, like Inland Empire, Riverside area, you know, and then kids my, kids my age are going like to Beaumont, Victorville, and further east, you know, buying because it gets cheaper housing property further east, you, further away you get from LA. Cheaper considering California standards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got no, it. yeah. Uh, like I have friends in LA that bought a condo that they paid basically the same price my parents bought their house. In, oh like my an gosh. Hour away. Wow. So I grew up in Salt Lake, but my family used to be part of a timeshare we'd rent out a timeshare the same one every year but it was in between la and san diego and san clemente just in orange oh, County. Yeah. But, no it was awesome i i fell in love with that town it's actually where my wife and i went on our honeymoon but so i mean we would drive up and we do the L, the la stuff go to you know disneyland and anaheim or universal studios and then another day we'd go down to uh sea world and Back when we could, we would go into Tijuana for a day, too. So, I mean, we've, yeah. we've been a week there in Southern California, and I love it. And then I actually have family just outside of San Diego. Yeah. Uh, San Clemente, first of all, is a great camp. People don't realize, but the best camping, like beach camping, you get there's a camp right on the beach. Yeah. Also. And Big then, bonfire uh, right there yeah. on the water. It's great. 
And then uh, growing up in, uh, in California, especially back then, like before 9-11, definitely yeah. before 9-11, but I think still afterwards, but they started getting more strict with like crossing the border back and forth. But mm -hmm. uh, anyone, you're, as soon as you're 18, before you're 21, you can just go to TJ. Like if you want to go drink or whatever, like people just go to TJ for the night and hang out. Yeah. My uh, cousins who grew up in Ramona, which is just east of San Diego there, my older cousin, he, his name's Scotty, he went to Tijuana, some friends, right after high school, and he got into a scrum in the parking lot and got the crap beat out of him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like glass bottles shattered over his eye and everything. And oh. so after that happened, my parents were a little bit weary of going down to San Diego, but I don't know my cousin well enough to say this, but... I'm sure he did something to provoke it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't unprovoked, just walking around. I mean, uh, but, you know. No, I mean, you're still going to a place, you know, a country. People are there just to take advantage of the tourists anyway, so you got to be careful like anywhere else. Oh, for sure. So how long have you been in the comedy game? Uh, I've been doing stand-up for about six years, maybe a little over-ish, but um, I did improv for about six years before I ever did stand-up, and that was originally my first first love like i moved to la and i didn't i didn't know that my whole life i lived an hour away from well not my whole life but since the theater was on i lived an hour away from ucb and ios and stuff and it's like right when i moved to la i moved right down the street and i started going there to watch shows and i was like this is amazing i want to do this and then I took classes and started performing and had teams and it was it was the best and then uh and then, you know, people like by improv team, like people got too famous to do improv now and stuff like that. Got on, became superheroes on TV shows and whatnot. And then, and so things that kind of break up. And then I finally, I just kind of like, oh, I went to like open mic. I'm like, oh, I'm better than that. I could do this. You know, I always jot down joke ideas, but never really doing them. And then mm -hmm. uh, stand up's just so much more convenient. Like, you know, oh, they're offered a show. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to email five other people and say, hey, you guys want to go do this show? You know, it's just so much easier. Yeah. Just worry about myself. See, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I've never done improv because I don't know if I have the attention span to pay attention for the punchline to like come to me right. in the moment with stand up, It's very much a, I'm in control of what said, how it said, when it said, mm -hmm. which is good. But someone with a background in improv, you're at a huge advantage. I think in stand up because if you get heckled or a joke pops off in a mile, and you have a tag right there on the spot and it can probably take a joke from a good joke to a great joke without even planning it. Uh, I think I, I definitely think I had advantage starting. I mean, you know, everyone catches up, like it's kind of like the smart kid in second grade who skips third, like by 10th grade, you're all the same, you know? Uh, yeah. Like I start, like I didn't, I don't think I started my first day, as far down as most people would their first day because of the improv like i did improv for six years which is a lot and and so i kind of understood i understood structure of how to make something funny you know how to heighten something tag some kind of things like that so i feel like i had a little bit of a and i was comfortable well i was still kind of nervous but comfortable with being able to do like crowd work and just kind of riff uh but eventually once like you start developing more and more material, like I honestly, I lost that skill just because I now don't have time for, it. you know, if I'm doing, especially in LA, like LA, the best set you're going to get is 15 minutes long. So I don't, I have right. an hour worth of jokes. I'm trying to just get as many jokes as I can in this 15 minute set. I don't, I literally have no time for crowd work. And then I just never really did it. But when I first started where you only have like two or three, like one good joke and like a couple other whatever jokes, I definitely would like start off a set of like trying to just kind of break the ice with the crowd and do, I, de I would always do that. And then, you know, I'm new, I'm green. I don't realize, Oh, 
you're not, you know, if you're opening for a headline, like, no, you're not supposed to do crowd work because that's for them kind of thing. And just different little things, little codes of the game. But, uh, right. I, I did, I used to enjoy doing that and I to completely lost that skill because I haven't been able to do it for so long. Right. Well, it's, I'm fascinated by it. So I've only, so I hosted a show at the Casablanca in Mesquite, Nevada. I don't know if you're familiar with Mesquite, but it's, you'll pass through it when you come out here to Utah next week. So as you're driving past Vegas, right before you hit like the Arizona, Utah border, you got Mesquite, Nevada. And uh, they have the Casablanca hotel and casino there. Anyway, I hosted a show there for uh, in January. And when I went down for the sound check, they were like, yeah, make sure you come out and you do crowd work. Yeah. The crowd loves it. And it's like it's the only time I've been told just to do yeah. crowd work. They, they do I'm like still it. Learning. The crowd does like it. They, they do. do. And if you can do it, it's great. I've, I've, I've kind of taken notes off of watching other people are good at crowd work. And so I had some things in my chamber, questions I could ask with the response ready, no matter yeah. what they said. And it worked good enough. But I mean, so you and I started stand up around the same time. But I mean, I started from scratch. Mm-hmm. As far as go at the improv i mean you were already comfortable in front as far as being in front of a crowd and and, and presenting yourself so i'm sure that a little for bit. sure helped. i think i you have you have maybe some stage presence but it's still a completely different game like uh because you're by yourself you know you don't have a team with you to help you out or like to you know like when improv it's which is why i loved it it was very much a team sport and i played basketball my whole life so when i got with mm-hmm. the group that i performed the most with it was, uh, we were so, we were so, worked so well together. It was, it felt the same feeling that I used to have when I played basketball with the people I played basketball with for 10 years, where we can just not even look and we're making perfect passes, you know? And that's how you it was know, right. improv. Yeah. yeah, there was a time, I remember one show that I like was going to jump in to do, like tag in this improv scene and then my, someone on my team beat me to it and they jumped out the first and then they did the exact same thing I was going to do. So it was just that seamless <laughs> and it was great. And so that's what I loved about it. But also that's what kind of made me feel safe versus going out there by yourself. It's like, okay, now I got to say something funny right away instead of building it with friends, you know? Right. So take me back. So as far as your open mic, like what was your first open mic like? How did that go? <laughs> I think I still have a recording of the very first, my very, very first open mic, <laughs> uh, which it wasn't bad. Actually. I like the experience wasn't bad. I mean, I was very nervous, but, uh, it was a decent mic. It was a supportive room. It was a, it was around for a while that mic and uh, and it uh, it went all right. I didn't do. I was not the worst one there. That's for sure. And I kind of like was it a what's that? Sorry, didn't was it at a comedy club itself no. or was it like at a coffee shop was, or a bar? It was like what? a back room of a restaurant, but it was like a separate okay. room. Um, and it was just pretty much the comics there. Maybe one person's girlfriend. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it was good and i remember like being like oh i got like got the bug I'm like oh i'm gonna do this tomorrow i can't wait to go to another mic and then, like i went maybe like a day or two later maybe a week later i don't know but i went to this other mic and it was the worst and it was like oh okay never mind like that's what it was that's such a common theme where it like goes good the first yeah. time and then the next time it goes horrible with me so la you guys have from what i understand open mics any they, you know, from like four o'clock on, there's open mics anywhere if you're willing to go find them. Salt Lake, where I grew up, is a little bit different. There, you got Wise Guys, which they hold their open mic every Wednesday night. And as far as I'm, it's like the National Comedy Club that hosts an open mic, and it's awesome. Like they give you a short five minutes or whatever. Fell in love with that. But the first time I ever did touch the microphone was at this little bar that had like a separate room, kind of like you said at the restaurant. 
And I had gone to see Daniel Tosh like two weeks before. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to be Daniel Tosh and I'm going to say shocking things. And I got on stage and the spotlight hits you and it's bright and you can't see feet mm. past the microphone. And it went horrible because I'm not Daniel Tosh. I was trying to do yeah. jokes. Just dead silent. And I think that was in 2013. And I didn't dare. I thought, well, that's not for me. And like a year later, I was like, nope, I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to do it right. So I went to the Wise Guys Club and just it went great because I went like with confidence. So like the next two or three times went great. And then I started bombing two yeah. or three times. Yeah. And it took a minute to get past the bombing thing. But it was like I knew I still wanted to keep doing it. That's good. Yeah. That's what, like, that's yeah what, listen, you know, once you do it, like once you get to that point, it's like, okay, you kind of know. It's like, oh, okay. I, especially after you, you bomb or you eat it, like, yeah. First mic. Well, it's like, how do you describe that to someone who, who isn't part of it? It's like, I've, I've said this for a while that it's stand up can be learned, but it can't be taught. Like, the only way you learn is you've got to go up on these open mics that are horrible whether you have a horrible set or it's just a horrible setting. And really you don't realize how much that's helping you because when you get in front of a hot crowd, it just yeah. kind of seems to flow from you because you've cut, cut your teeth and you know what to expect. Yeah. It's like bartending or bar cooking, like being a chef, like you can read all the books you want, but you're not in, then go into the kitchen. You're not going to know what to do. Even if you have the recipe, you've read all the cooking books through it until you actually go and start making food. You're not going to ever learn how to make food. Same with like making a drink, like being a bartender. You can yeah. take all the watch all the YouTube videos, but until you start making drinks, you're not going to under, really understand it. Well, and even on that same path, I mean, even just cooking or making drinks, whatever, you've also got to find your own rhythm. You can't go up mm -hmm. there and try and be the, you know, Gordon Ramsay or whoever you're seeing on in the cooking shows. You've got to find what your pace and what works for you. It's it's a fascinating thing. To, I'm I'm obsessed just kind of watching how people develop because comedy is such a personal thing. And the only way it works is if people find their own personal way to do it. Yeah. And everyone imitates like my of all the first jokes I wrote. I'm a huge Mitch Hedberg fan. Like I've heard every single one of his jokes. <laughs> and I used to like the first time I saw him on like his, I think his comedy central presents like uh -huh. that night at the dinner table, I was doing his jokes for my family. And then they're like laughing and my brother, like grabs me. I was like, he didn't make that. He saw that on TV today, you know? But I was like, yeah, he was i saw i got to see him alive before he passed away it was did you? yeah and wow. um i already knew all his jokes literally like 90 percent of the jokes he did and i was it was still funny my cheeks were sore the next day because of how much my face was smiling the whole time it was crazy that's um, awesome he to this day he has my favorite one-liner joke of all time ooh, and it, it's the joke about how he says he has so much tartar in his teeth he doesn't have to <laughs> Sticks and shit. Yeah. Yeah. When the first time I heard that, I was on a public bus and I started like laughing out loud on the bus. And can I just listen to my headphones? And people were looking at me like asking if I was okay because I had just tears coming out of my. That hit me so funny for some reason. Yeah, it, he's he's great. I used to burn his CD and give them to people. You got to hear this. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> but so all my jokes originally, and like some, I I'd write down jokes, but never really, or ideas or jokes, but never going doing it. But they're all Mitch Hedberg style one-liner type jokes. And even right. when I'd like say them to like my roommate or somebody, hey, how's this? Like I would do it as Mitch Hedberg. And he's like, yeah, that's all right. But you can't do it like Mitch Hedberg. Like you're just doing an impression of him. But they only worked as him. I still have a couple of jokes that are my original jokes, but 
they don't really work for me just but they would work for him if he were the one saying it you know but and i feel like that i mean i, I think about that like one of my favorites that i love to watch is norm mcdonald Oh, and it's yeah. because he clearly just does not care what he says, if it's funny or not. And I think that's what makes it funny. I think of stuff in my head that I think would be hilarious if he said it. But if anyone else said it, it wouldn't yeah. be good at all. So that's funny. So you started off in improv. What got you into improv? How old were you when you started that? I was old. I, I didn't move till like, till like 26 or 7 or something, maybe 27. And then, like, it was a year before I got the balls to actually take the class. Like, I wanted to. I'd go see shows, like, all the time, like, multiple times a week. And I wanted to do it. And I remember asking, calling, like, emailing people, like, hey, you want to do this improv class? And people lived, like, an hour away that I went to college with, but they were in theater. Like, hey, you want to come out and do improv? I was trying to get anyone I knew to do it with me because I was afraid to go by myself. And then finally I just went. And uh, and I loved it. I actually made some friends in that class I'm still friends with today. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was great. And um and like i said i think what drew me to it was that whole team thing that same feeling i had playing basketball with people who i like to play basketball with things like that and that's what i loved about it you and i parallel each other a little bit so i grew up playing basketball too and i love the team aspect of it which is funny because i've never wanted to do improv but not because of any other reason other than i in my head I wouldn't be beneficial to the team. I know my attention span well <laughs> enough to know I'd be too focused on trying to get to the next joke without actually, and I'd probably miss an opportunity for something funny to say. But, but you would learn. You would learn to not do that, and it, it would come. It would eventually be organically not doing that. Um, absolutely, and, it's just it's one of those things that you'd have to be willing to try and stick with before you get yes. to that point, which I just never was. It's the same thing with stand up, where. I, I've bombed enough times to know when I bomb, I know it sucks, but I know I'm going back because I love this whole thing so much and I love being a part of it. Um, I just, I just never had that with improv, but I certainly respect the hell out of anyone who can do it. Yeah. And so, and you stand up as the instant gratification, even if it's bad, even if it's a bad response, it's instantaneous, you know, even if you get, don't get a laugh, you get, you know, right then versus improv is a slower build, but that's what makes it so that's what makes that feeling you get that just that mental orgasm with it when it ha- when it does come back around when you're closing out a show and you get a perfect callback and it's like you didn't know it was even there but it just happened yep. to, to appear and you're able to grab it right then and it's like oh now you get that gratification that was 20 minutes in the making and it was amazing how it just happened organically and which so- it's the that's what fascinates me about improv is how quickly can I kind of all come together and it can destroy a room. Yeah. I've been doing comedy consistently since, well, consistently, consistently since 2015-ish. Um, and even now, I'm still coming up with callbacks that have taken me four years to build to come <laughs> back. And it's making the jokes better. Like, I write new stuff, but as I write new stuff, I think of how I can make other stuff better. And it just kind of keeps building, building, building. So yeah. the, the instantaneous development of material improv has access to is something that just fascinates me. And it's, it's cool to watch. You would like, I mean, it's, it's good if you're saying, saying, Oh, I have a, you know, I'm attention deficit. I can't, or I don't have the patience for it. It would, that's a good reason to actually take it. Like, it's, it's really weird. Like I think improv, it's almost like when I was taking, it, I was like, this is something that should be taught in schools as like a mandatory elective, like a foreign language. Cause it literally right. makes you, self-reflect and be self-aware of everything you're doing even if you're just standing there fidgeting it makes you and it makes you look inside and kind of know react naturally and so know how you would react it's just it keeps it gets you out of your head completely for 30 minutes even if you're the most 
neurotic person in the world, for that 30 minutes you're on stage, you get to be free and don't have a thought. And now you're just reacting naturally or funny in a funny way as best you can. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. So you were 26 when you got into it? Yeah, maybe like 20, maybe like 28. I'd rather not say. I'm just kidding. I'm uh, 37. Okay. So, so, no, I, no, 38. No, 37. Yeah. 30, I just okay. had a birthday. My birthday is in June. <laughs> First open mic I went to, I was 27, almost 28, just to kind of give you an idea. And I'm thir- I'll am i be 34 in next month now. So, I mean, I'm not too far behind you in years, but yeah. it's it's not like we, we kind of started along the same time. So with that being the case, and I don't, I mean, this is the first time I've ever talked to you. I don't know you. I don't know your life, but I would imagine because you're a human, every human deals with drama or, you know, some sort of pain at some sort. Right. What role does being involved in the comedy community play in hard times that you've gone through? Um, I think it's probably been more of a, not causing hard times, but more help coping, helping cope with hard times more than right. it has caused. I mean, it does both, obviously. Uh, of course. But I mean, hard times as far as just like, you know, like there's times it's like, well, you know, I, I, there's times you think like, I want to just, why can't I just go get a regular job, have a, have a wife, have a kid and be normal, you know, <laughs> like, I don't want to yeah. die alone. And that's a big fear I have. And I think doing comedy will definitely can easily lead me down a path of dying alone. Uh, yeah. But, 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 it, but it could also introduce you to, to someone that you yeah. could go the opposite way for you. True, so. true. Um, I have a friend and he's a very, He's a very respected comedian. He's been doing it for 30 years. He opened for Apatow on his when he did his Netflix special. He he knows everybody. He he he's been around. He's written for Emmys and stuff like that. And he and I always tell him like I'm him 20 years earlier because just by his like his not his stand-up style but just uh just who he is as a person like his diet the way things he eats the things he says the things he likes and and we're very similar. I'm like you are, and I just look at him like that's me. And he's had a successful career. I would be per- I'd be perfectly happy having his career. But at the same time, it's also he he's not married, he doesn't have any kids and things like that, which is not necessary, obviously, maybe not for him, but at some point, like I really hope I'd get that opportunity. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Where I'm like, if I could if I follow his footpath, his path his uh his path, I would be the very successful. I'd be more successful than I ever thought I would be. Uh however, yeah. there might be things I'd be missing. I don't know. We'll see when it gets there. Well- let me acknowledge you for something because a lot of people get so caught up in making it and having a career like that, that the, the wife and kids thing kind of falls by the wayside. So yeah. as far as a little bit of my background, I mean, for a good year, I lived in my car and all I did was go from open mic to open mic. And my only source of income was donating plasma twice a week. <laughs> and that's, that was like, it was a depressing time. Yeah. I was, you know, working towards what I thought I wanted and then in the midst of all that, I met the girl who ultimately became my wife over the next year and a half, you know, and, and we just had our first kid in October, but she had a kid from a previous marriage and I've got the stepdad life. Yeah. So for a lot of, for a lot of really good, important reasons, that's been the best thing that's, that's helped me have a better outlook on life. And that helps me write better material and kind of in a, in a better light. And I, I, it certainly helped me in a lot of personal aspects, but especially comedic aspects, but also it gives you a whole new platform to write off. I know like there's all the comedians that can write about the old ball and chain and that's not really my style, but you know, comedy again, being personal, what you would find 
humor or joy in with a family like that, I think it would, I don't think, I think eventually, you know, you, you put it out there in the universe, what you want, I think it'll provide a way. And I think you, if you want the best of both worlds, I think it's there for you. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just something that I always think, uh, especially like with like here with quarantine or stuff like this, or people dying, yeah, I, it will come to mind. Like, oh, I hope I don't die alone. Every birthday, it's like, oh, I hope I don't die alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's really for it. sure. Uh, I don't think well, it's caused too much drama. Maybe, like I said, just like there's definitely, I it definitely could be easier if I like, okay, let me just go do this other thing and live more right. traditionally. But I know yeah. that I wouldn't be as happy. I even had like my ex girlfriend. She would tell. She can tell. Like I would, if I call her. She would be able to tell, like, you just got off stage, huh? Or you just had a good set <laughs> because of just how I was on the phone with her. Like, and it's just, yep. she explains, she's like, look, I can tell when you're happy. Like, and true. And so, you know, I got to do it. Well, and, and that and that happens. I mean, because a set can make or break your mood. If, if, <laughs> if it's yeah. bad enough, I, I totally get that side of it. More so, though, like, I, I'm so fascinated by the concept that you know, people say laughter is the best medicine. And I think back to any drama I've had in my life where there was living in my car or when my mom died when I was 16 or going through relationship stuff. What eventually got me when I knew I was okay is when I could laugh about things, whether it's laughing at certain things, not laughing at the fact that my mom died, but there were funny yeah. aspects around it that I can recognize and laugh at. I totally believe that laughter, it, it's not a cure-all and it's not necessarily a band-aid, but it does help lighten a moment and might allow you to think there. So the fact that you're willing to come to a show here in, you know, in Utah, which I know St. George, Utah isn't the, you know, necessarily the, the target that comedians are aiming for. The community who shows up to the show is real, will, I think it'll, they'll greatly appreciate the laughs that you or I or anyone else on the show is going to be able to provide them. Oh yeah, no. These like, like, first of all, out anywhere outside of LA is better shows than LA. That's for sure. And I love, I forget where it was, Camarillo. I don't know, some place in somewhere central coast of California. Like, it's not a city, not a big city at all. It was tiny, but it was the best show. Like, those are the shows that are the best shows. Grand Rapids is one of my favorite cities to perform in. I go, I go every year for the last three years. Like, there's certain cities where it's just like it's, you know, it's going to be great just because the people are there and just the dynamic of the town like something that a town that's small but not like not too big but not too small is like perfect that's what it is and especially if it and you want diverse crowds but honestly if they're everyone's the same in the crowd it's easier to please them all at the same time you know <laughs> yeah well and for the most part i mean it, not, this is going to be a predominantly white crowd yeah, and, yeah. and for the most part, the same political views probably mostly yeah. the same but well, I mean, you're going to get a handful of, of whatever. I mean, this is the comedy still a baby here and everyone's just appreciative of, of the chance to come out and laugh. So I, I, I'm certainly looking forward to working with you. I'm, I, I looked up some of your clips I could find on YouTube today and I'm, I'm, I, I think you'll be good for the crowd. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Some friends of yeah. mine, a friend of mine was headlining in uh, Arizona last weekend. I think they're crazy. He was, he told me, he, I asked him, he said, no, these they were starving for it. He's like, it was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the whole country is starving for something like this right now, yeah. and it'll be, it'll be good. As far as like your comedic influences, like I mean, you said Minch Hedberg. Anyone else that really is just kind of uh, you can it, sit down with all right that? right now, or not necessarily right now, but like most recently, I can easily identify uh, Gary Goldman as being an influence. 
Um, I think he's... he is my favorite Twitter follow. Oh yeah. Like I just, the insight he provides is awesome. He is so there's some of his, there's a couple of jokes that I just think you can watch over and over. It's just like so brilliant, so funny. And I just really like him. Cause he's like, here he is. He's a six, five college football. He's like a jock guy, but he's like, this like comedy nerd, neurotic, like crazy person as well. You know? Uh, yeah. And, but he has a joke that he does where he did, um, I don't know what hour it's on, but it's on one of there's video of it. And it's basically, he's saying how, uh, it's an old joke. And he's like saying that Pepsi, their new slogan is, Hey, it's the cola. And he's like, really Pepsi? He's like, if I call, if I get it, if I come home and I have a voice on answer machine that says, Hey, give me a call back. It's the cola. I'm calling back Coke every time. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he goes in this whole like story of like, and then you see Pepsi, then you're at a party, you run into Pepsi, and they're like, hey, what the hell? I called you. I can't call me back. He's like, that was you? I called. And he does this whole personifies Pepsi and Coke and RC Cola and this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And it's so good. And I remember thinking, like, I want to, I want a joke like that. I want to write a joke that I, and I, and then I, I did, which I like kind of, I wasn't necessarily, I think I went into it as like wanting to personify. It was it's a Facebook joke that might be a little dated. I'll probably do it, but at the show. But, um, and personifying Facebook or give it a personality, give it a name, an attitude, thing like that. And and I did. And I was like, I don't know how much was in my head consciously when I was writing it, but it very much was because Gary going to that joke. And I was like, I want a joke like that. And I think he's yeah. brilliant, honestly. No, that's fantastic. I One of my favorite bits of his is where he like talks about the old Discman like CD players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And talks about how it's like carrying like a spare tire or whatever you know just the whole the base i heard boost. that bit yep and the whole thing about the anti-shock yeah. you know was amazing for the 10 minutes it would let your battery live or whatever like that absolutely destroyed me when i heard that man yeah he's brilliant so. but he's definitely an influence now right now now times mitch hebberg not really as much which it, it's kind of sad because same thing with like the like crowd work and improvising on stage I used to be, uh, I used to be able to write one-liners like very easily because I listened so much to Mitch Hedberg before I ever did stand-up, but I had to have her list him anymore. Now I've since then found my own voice and now I don't, I couldn't necessarily write a one-liner if I tried. I have, I have a handful of one-liners, but they're more like fillers between bits. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I kind of like to, you know, if I have a topic, either create a story around it or whatever. And it's just, that's still the writing process I'm, I'm part of i uh i love kyle kinane i don't know if you're familiar oh, with great. him he has an album coming out in yeah. weeks actually. july 24th yeah, yeah and i'm looking forward to it um but i mean cliche to say i mean i i love dave chappelle and on one of chappelle's specials that came out in 2016 or 17 where he, i don't know if you saw on netflix where he was talking about the four yeah. times he met oj all that yeah and the way he <laughs> The way he closed that bit, which was kind of like a callback joke to a whole thing he had done like halfway through the show. When I saw that, I was like, that's what I want to find out how to do. I want to use the same punchline in the middle of the show that I'm going to close the show with and just destroy the crowd because I don't want them to see it coming. And that's kind of the, the writing style I've aimed for since then. Yeah, that's great. That's oh. Well, cool, man. I'm excited. I'm, we're at 30 minutes, so I'm going to wrap it up here. But I'm excited to work with you. I appreciate you coming on here, man. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really looking – it's honestly, this is a – this show is saving my life. Like, I've given me something to yeah. work towards. I haven't touched a microphone in, since, like, February 2nd. It's been like – it'll have been 160 days I did the math since I've touched a microphone. Oh, so my I am gosh. just 
there. I was uh, at the airport. Uh, as on March 14th, Friday, I had a 6 a.m. flight. I was flying to Chicago, and I was doing some shows in Michigan, Grand Rapids. And um, and I look forward to it every year. I go the same weekend every year. And uh, and I'm about to board the plane, and they email me and say, hey, don't come. All the shows are canceled. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I was supposed to do a show April 1st down here, the same theater we were going to do. And I can't remember who the comedian was, but it had sold out. Oh. I was going to open for him, and it was one I had wanted to open for. And then, you know, the, that week hit, and it was like, well, I don't know when this is all going to happen again. So I'm yeah. just going to sit and write. I'm excited for next Friday because it's going to give me a chance to get some new stuff out. Yeah, I have. That's the problem. So I'm trying to – I have some people I might FaceTime and just run a set for them because I need – because I have jokes, like a handful of jokes that I've never said out loud because I've only written them during yep. this time. And I like them and yep. I want to try them. It's like, I need to really go over to the set before I go do that show over there. Yeah. Uh, Val who's putting on, I don't know how well you know Val. Yeah. So she told me, she's like, yeah, try and come up with a new set. And so I have pretty good. I, I, I think I'm doing all right, but I mean, I'm going to, I'll have a few stuff that I can rely on. Yeah. Not stuff I do a lot, but I know it can at least set the tone for a minute and then I can, I'll, we'll see how, uh, how my 10 minutes go, but. Either way, looking forward to working with you, John. Yeah, same here. Can't wait. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on. No problem. Have a good day. Too bad. All right. That was Jonathan Flanagan. Good guy, John. First time I've ever talked to him. Excited to see uh, see what kind of show he brings to, to Utah. I think it should be good. Excited just to be able to touch a microphone again. It has been way too long and I need it. I think the crowd needs it. The world needs it. Everyone just needs a laugh. Anyways, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode.